You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Hunt. Sir, how about a glass of champagne? Perfect. Put on some weight. Put him in the back with the rest. Point and shoot. Everybody get down! I know what this is. It's Mannergate. Every year, these rich elites kidnap a bunch of normal folks like us. Where'd they get you from? Wyoming. Orlando. Mississippi. This is a real thing. They're hunting human beings for sport. Then you're not human beings. Help you? What state is this? Most people know where they are. I ain't most people. You're in the glorious state of Arkansas, sweetheart. Is there anything else I can do? How'd you know she was lying? Because everyone is lying. There has to be a reason they chose us. I'm not going down with that fight. War is war. You have no idea what you're up against. This time, they picked the wrong woman. Game of survival. You're gonna rip you to pieces. We'll see. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for The Hunt, and the story is as follows. Twelve strangers wake up in a clearing. They don't know where they are or how they got there. In the shadow of a dark internet conspiracy theory, ruthless elitists gather at a remote location to hunt humans for sport. But their master plan is about to be derailed when one of the hunted, Crystal, turns the tables on her pursuers. The film is starring Betty Gilpin, Ike Barinholtz, Emma Roberts, and Hilary Swank. It is directed by Craig Zobel and written by Nick Coos and Damon Lindelof. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Dan Baer. Oh, boy. And also as a guest here for the first time on the Next Best Picture podcast, joining us from filmschoolrejects.com, we have Luke Hicks, everybody. Howdy. All righty. So, The Hunt, a film, oh, man, a film that was originally supposed to come out in September of 2019. Uh, however, following mass shootings that took place uh, in August uh, in Dayton and El Paso, the film was delayed up until now. And it's so crazy because now it's coming out during the I don't even want to say the peak, but the, let's just say the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. And <laughs> there are a lot of movies that are being delayed, but The Hunt, it's like, nope, we already did that. <laughs> We're not doing that again. So the film is out. Uh, people are probably not seeing it. I know yeah. that uh, in Dan's <laughs> case, uh, he saw it yesterday. He braved uh, you know, infection to go to a theater to check it out uh, specifically for this podcast. Were there people in your movie theater? There were about uh, five or six other people. Jesus. At the AMC in Times Square, New York, which is usually like packed full. And like granted, it was like 
a four o'clock showing on a Friday, so they're usually not full. But yeah, yeah at the but same yeah, like time, single like, digits, that is though. remarkably low for an right, opening right. weekend, especially for a movie that I know from its marketing campaign, they are really, really trying to hype this mm-hmm. up as a must see movie because of its violence, the controversy, and you know, I'm trying to make it something that you have to go check out to see what it's all about. And really, at the end of the day, what it's all about is it's just a modern day remake of the most dangerous game from Blumhouse Productions. Um, With that said, and that setup there, Luke, you're the guest here. You go first. Tell us your general thoughts on The Hunt. I thought it was very weak. Uh, I mean, it's like, like go into this movie thinking, you know, this has been pushed back six months. It's going to be really controversial. But now, like, we've had time to sit with this and maybe, I don't know, like maybe now because of this time that, like, there's a certain irony that, like, I don't know, spreads through, like, the zeitgeist so that we can watch it and enjoy it and think about it and, like, have good conversations about it. But I walked out of this movie thinking, like, there's nothing to talk about. Like, it's a totally empty – I don't even want to call it a satire because that, like, gives it credit. Um, but, yeah, it's just, like, it it says and does nothing. It's just, like, squeezing in a bunch of buzzwords, political buzzwords on both sides. I agree that it's not, like, a partisan movie. Like, a bunch of, been, a bunch of people have been saying that. Um but like it's it's not because it takes like a strong critical thinking stance that allows us to like analyze each other's views and like come together and talk about something. It's because it's just so fucking empty that there's nothing to talk about. So I really didn't enjoy it. I like there's some fun kills and like I didn't watch the trailer, so the Hillary Swank of it all was like a nice little bit, but like, yeah, otherwise really didn't like it for the first like half there of your uh general thoughts i'm like we're talking about the hunt here luke not joker chill (laughs) (laughs) um which was a common uh criticism i heard uh last year revolving around that movie as well funny how these two films probably would have come around uh come out around the same time if this had its original uh scheduled release date i wonder what the conversation Mm -hmm. would have been like by comparison actually uh during that time so you know i i do agree with you that there is is um, a partisan stance that the movie's trying to make. But I do think that whatever political views you personally bring into the movie will determine how you walk away from it because you're right, it doesn't take a definitive stance on the left or the right in what it is trying to convey. It just presents both arguments and says to the audience, well, you figure it out. (laughs) Dan, what about you? Do you agree with that take? What did you ultimately think of The Hunt? I don't know if it's even trying to be partisan, really. I... I it it does. Oh, no, like, I, do, of, I don't think it is. I it it definitely like takes this, you know, sort of broad strokes approach to its. I I like Luke. I'm hesitant to call it satire. Um, that that almost works, except that it just does nothing with it. I feel like it's more about just the extremism of the current politics of our time as opposed to the actual extremism on either side. Um, But I have to say, like, when this is just being a grody little grindhouse movie, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, Betty Gilpin is freaking fantastic in the lead. 
definitely the best part. Oh, by far. Yeah. Just like just like little facial expressions and things that she does. That clenched jaw. That clenched oh. jaw. <laughs> the clenched jaw. And I just remember um, there's this one scene when she's in the passenger seat of a car and the driver is talking and asking them questions and at some point she just like sighs and her eyes get real big and she grabs onto the um the little handle above the window and you're just like oh what is she gonna do what is she gonna do and it's just from what she does with her face and her body and how she moves and like that that's talent right there as far as i'm concerned oh no she carries this movie uh so extremely well and she's most known for being a supporting uh actress on uh the show glow and for a lot of people, this will be, I imagine, um, their first real exposure to her. And in that regard, even though she has made a name for herself in small roles and also television roles, I think that this could be considered in some ways um, a breakout role for her uh, film career rise. Oh, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, definitely. Agree. I'm glad that they had the foresight to realize that she had the capability to lead a movie mm-hmm. um especially when you consider that there are other names here i mean because like for example could you not have seen a scenario where emma emma, uh, emma roberts could have been the lead of this film instead for example i mean I which it that. definitely yeah. like teases you to think as well yeah yeah she, her character doesn't even have a name it's <laughs> just yoga pants <laughs> <laughs> um and that's actually the thing for me in the very beginning of the film that i liked the most was um the surprising element of having these well-known actors uh 12 of whom uh mysteriously wake up and you're thinking okay this is the lead of our film because actually believe, to, to tell you guys the truth i didn't know um really much about this film i think i saw one trailer uh back in september i didn't watch any other marketing material or anything when this film was um coming out around this time. So the premise and everything else was very lost on me. I was going into this movie extremely cold. So I'm watching Emma Roberts in the very, very beginning of this. And spoiler alert, she gets disposed of very quickly. And I'm like, oh, okay, so she's not the lead. Then I'm like, oh, maybe it's this dude. Maybe he's the lead. Uh, Landmine. Nope, I guess not. And then I'm like, Ike Barinholtz. Okay, so he's the lead of this movie. (laughs) And it's like, just I kept having this like feeling of, oh, this movie is surprising me at, at, at points here. And I was liking it uh, during that time, actually, because yeah. I didn't really know what to expect. I, I really liked, like, I, I, I thought it was going to be more of an ensemble film for longer than it was. Yeah, me too. Like, really for maybe the first, I think, 10 minutes, within the first 10 to 15 minutes, like, yeah. half the cast is just dispatched with. And, <laughs> like, that part of the movie is really fun. And especially I love um, uh, Amy Madigan and Reed Burney as the the proprietors of the gas station, all that in heavy air <laughs> yeah. quotes. Um, I thought they were a lot of fun. Uh, even like Barinholtz, who I generally don't have meant much feelings for one way or the other, I thought was very fun. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. (laughs) Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, I was I was very intrigued by the movie through through all of that. But it's like, what? That's twelve minutes of the movie. I mean, it feels so. It feels like you're watching an enjoyable movie, and then it all like cuts off, and it's like, where do we go from here? Also, question because mm. I've been wondering about this. Do y'all think that in any way whatsoever, like Ike Barinholtz or Emma Roberts or any of the bigger names were cut out because they had plot lines that related more to the controversy that originally suspended the movie. Ooh, I I don't think so. I haven't heard anything about it being cut further. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think so. Personally. OK, I think it was all for the surprise element. I haven't heard yeah. anything about it, but it's more that I'm like after watching that movie, I have absolutely no idea why that movie was pushed. Like, so many movies around the same time came out that had gun violence in it. Because we're living in sensitive times, and instead of just letting art speak for itself, everybody's so reactionary nowadays. And because the president picked up this movie and decided to make a... Oh, who gives a shit what he thinks? (laughs) Well, I mean, a surprisingly large number of people. Oh, yeah, of course. (laughs) That's true, but I do feel like Hollywood is reactionary toward him in a way that would mean the movie would come out and they would, like, put even more money behind it. Not that they would take it because he, I don't know, criticizes them. Yeah. But I don't know, I didn't think this movie was, like, controversial in a way that would ever need it to be banned, like, in any circumstance outside of this situation literally happening in real life and being like, okay, you know, this is now insensitive, like, we'll pull it. But outside of that, I'm like, what's what's the controversy? Yeah, I mean, like, the idea of quote-unquote liberal elites killing quote-unquote deplorables mm-hmm. is just like, that's going to be the same no matter when you release this movie, and it's going to be equally controversial no matter when you release this movie. I mean, what yeah. I find hysterical about the whole situation is – Without seeing the film and just hearing that premise, it's like so easy for Donald Trump to, uh, you know, attack this film. When in reality, uh, the lead characters and the ones who garner our sympathy are the ones that he are his supporters at the end of the day. So it's like he has the exact wrong opinion of what the movie actually is. Mm -hmm. And I do think that in that regard, especially for me, someone being a liberal, um, I, I, I do have mixed feelings on this movie to some degree um, because while I do appreciate that the movie uh, does kind of, I don't even know if it's even to be honest with you, but it does 
have criticisms on both sides of the argument and points out the hypocrisy of both sides at the end of the day. In that regard, Hollywood is a very, very extremely liberal town, and we see so many movies that take that stance uh, through their messaging and feel. So The Hunt, to me at least, does feel somewhat different and not, I don't want to say fresh, but at least it's told from a, a unique perspective in that regard where it doesn't follow the conventional uh, liberal storytelling that I see in so many other films that cater to that large demographic of people in Hollywood. So, but at the same time, it's like, I disagree with it on a personal level. I also don't even think that the filmmaking is that um, outrageous to the point that it warrants all the controversy and hype that was surrounding it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I just have mixed feelings on it all around. I don't think it's a poor movie, but... I'm just like, I don't know which way to go because there are times also with like the humor, the dark humor in this movie where it's like, you know what? I can poke and laugh and laugh at myself and some of the hypocrisy of uh, liberal elitism. Sure. You know, that like, fine. Why not? And then there are times where I'm just like, no, no, no. I fundamentally disagree with this. Fuck that. You know, and then there are moments also while watching it, too, where, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know whether to laugh or it, it just like there are times where it's just so cringy. And the dialogue is so on the nose that it's just like, that's not funny. That's just bad writing. Yeah. That's yeah. how I felt about most of the jokes. Like, did y'all laugh very much? I, I giggled. I didn't really laugh out loud. Yeah, mine were all very, like, hushed I, laughs that were just kind of like, yeah, I get it. The the audience, the vibe in the room I saw it in. And, Luke, I don't know if we were – no, I don't think we were – were you in the, uh, the, the, the all-media screening in New York? Uh, I went on to the screening on Monday. Whatever. Yes. Okay. So you were in the same room as as I was then. Um, oh, okay. The the vibe in the room was extremely uncomfortable because it also felt to me like the audience didn't know what they should be reacting to, what they shouldn't be reacting to. I felt yeah. like there was this like internal um, <laughs> held back emotion throughout most of it, where it's like, I'm afraid if I laugh at this, people will look at me funny. <laughs> you know. And like the. I feel like the only joke that really got like a hearty laugh out of people was the Ava DuVernay joke. Oh my God. (laughs) Because it was like a bunch of like mostly leftist like writers who are always on Twitter and who definitely got the joke. But I don't even feel like that joke would land in your average AMC. No. I, it didn't really land when I saw it. (laughs) With your four friends. Yeah. With my four (laughs) random people scattered throughout the audience. I, I honestly like, and I don't know what this is about me, but I mostly laughed at the kills. Yes. Yeah. I just think they were staged really, really well for maximum impact. And they were clearly trying to get that kind of reaction. The Emma Roberts kill was, was probably like my favorite part of the movie. Just like you really don't see that coming. I think my favorite was the um, when Betty Gilpin uh, discovers that the store clerks are uh, not who they say they are. And yeah, that that was just very satisfying because I thought they did a really, really good job of setting up that set piece with the um, the fake Arkansas uh, uh, gas station. Mm hmm. Like that's actually a re- like a real major center point of the movie where a lot of a lot of action takes place, and I felt like in a very very short period of time they did a really great job of kind of establishing uh, the the laws of the movie, rules of the movie, if you will, and those two characters uh, that were played behind the um, so good. the counter 
Yeah. I thought I thought that those two actors did a really, really great, great job, actually. And so, so when she, you know, realizes, nope, something's not right here. She doesn't even like contemplate it. She just takes action. And that's like my favorite thing about that character in this movie mm-hmm. is that she acts and, and she just knows she's smarter than literally everybody else. And that is just so refreshing and badass to watch in the sense that she doesn't like ask questions or have like any kind of real like internal struggle or anything like that. It's just like, nope, this is fucked up. I am capable. I am <laughs> I am able to get through this situation and god damn it, I'm gonna see it through to the very end because I don't <laughs> have any more fucks left to give. <laughs> which is which is kind of like the philosophy of the movie too, right? Mm-hmm. Like write first, ask questions later, or don't. <laughs> I like that. I can get down with that. What do you guys think of like the final act of the film with uh, Hillary Swank? Um, I mean, like uh, I, I, I don't know. I think by the time we get there, I'm already so like over the movie that I was kind of just like waiting for it to end, which is not a great way to watch a movie. I'm not saying I should have been doing that, but it's like the movie had like bored me to no end at some point like in the middle and like the jokes were no longer funny. Everything just seemed very predictable except for the Hillary Swank part <laughs> since I hadn't seen the trailer. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like, I can see a world where I'm enjoying the movie enough up to that point where I'm like, Ooh, this is a cool like end to all of this where they're just like slamming through fucking windows and fireplaces and shit. Like, I don't know. Reminded me of um, the house fight scene in kill bill. Yeah. That's yeah, what yeah, yeah. Too. And I was like, God, we don't get enough of like, two badass women fighting it out this way you know yeah, it's like it's a great concept yeah the, i my problem was that i didn't buy the hillary swank character the way that she was written i didn't i mean kind of everyone's character is bullshit like everyone is a stereotype I, like no <laughs> one has depth except for betty gilpin and her depth is like basically there because we don't know what her political leaning is right yeah well i mean we kind of do but also she just like also thinks like her life is more important than politics yeah the movie takes a show and don't tell approach to her character wait does it do we ever get any hint as to like what her political stance is i i didn't think we did well, we just know that she's from Mississippi. We know yeah. that she is mistaken uh, for somebody else that they were that they were supposed to pick up, and we know right. that she was in the. I don't remember if it was special forces or whatever yeah. it was exactly, but she served in Afghanistan. I'm going to take a wild guess and say that she is uh, definitely more right leaning, with all that uh, given to us. But you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that with her political. Um, beliefs, values, or anything like that are important for her. It's just all about survival, and she has the skills in order to survive. And I think that that's what it all just comes down to, is when you strip away someone's political uh, viewpoints from them as a human being, what else is left um, as a human? You know, what, what defines you as a person? Because there are so many people out there that let their political beliefs define who they are, and it guides every single thing that they say, every action that they take. Well, I think she's like an example of somebody who that's not a factor in her life. And instead, she's made up of something else entirely. And that's stronger, the movie's saying, than any other uh, belief that one might hold. Yeah. And I think that if that is the ultimate message of the film, I think it's actually a good one. I just don't know that the film commits enough to it for that to really be the message that it's going for. 
No, that yeah, was just my own interpretation. I don't know if that's the uh, ultimate takeaway of the film. And yeah, I'm saying I, mean, I like that interpretation. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that interpretation too. I think it's like I think it's clear that the film is definitely trying to like bring people together. Like I think that is I don't know that seems to be written all over it. Like it wouldn't be jabbing at everyone. I don't think and like landing in a in a nonpartisan place if it was just after like satisfying one group of people. But like, I, yeah, I agree. It doesn't, I don't think creating just like a shit ton of stereotypes on either side and having them like jab at each other. Maybe if it was really funny, like if this was written by like, you know, the South park people, that would be different. I mean, they'd probably find a way (laughs) to, to like, I don't know. They'd probably find a way to make us critically think because they're so good at doing that. But it's like this movie never does, which is a shame because it's Lindelof. And like, I expect so much out of anything Lindelof writes, especially depth. Yeah. It's not, it's not deep at all. And the thing is, is like a lot of the stereotypes, like don't, what stereotype is the Hilary Swank character supposed to be? Because I don't recognize that stereotype from anywhere in life. I, 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 don't, I don't agree. I, I, well, I don't recognize that stereotype anywhere in life either. But what I do recognize with that character is I do recognize um, this idea that the left eat their own um, in the sense that, you know, she makes yeah. a joke, quote unquote, and she loses everything for it. Yeah. And... Yeah. We how many times do we see the left uh just because of how sensitive we all are to everything and just we we can't let shit slide and you know there are a lot of movies that have been exploring this in recent years uh one of my favorite as you guys uh know um is Assassination Nation mm-hmm. and I I love this exploration of this theme because it's something that continuously pisses me off and especially as we're going through this election sli- cycle right now is people need to see the greater picture I, I think when it comes to uh, politics and like, you know, for example, for the left right now, the greater picture is making sure that Trump does not get reelected. But instead, everybody's squabbling over Biden and Bernie and like, you know, these camps are being built. And it's like, guys, we, the, the true, you know, we need like Jon Snow to like come in and be like, the true enemy is out there. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like so fucking ridiculous. Anyway, getting back on track here. Um, I like that aspect of the Hillary Swain character and that her. Uh, descent into this quote-unquote villain is all brought about by something that should not even be a factor in our world um but it is and that actually i think does help to give her character i don't want to say depth but at least it gives her an interesting angle to work with in terms of her uh beliefs and viewpoints then because she takes that um joke and she turns it into a reality as a fuck you to, I suppose, both the right and the left. Once again, it's like I'm now just going to strip away um, all political beliefs and just live out my true inner nature of who I am as a human being without political leanings in that case. I don't know. I, I it's, 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 that's, that part to me is very interesting. The, the one thing about the movie that I thought did work is that that whole it was a joke thing because that is something that we normally see coming from the right i feel like that defense anyway and to have it sort of sprung around to someone who is supposedly left-leaning um that does make you think about like well okay what were my own uh prejudices about other people that i have heard say that yeah but i agree 
that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> as far as the political stuff in this movie goes. Did y'all read Betty Gilpin's Vanity Fair essay that she wrote on the movie? No. Not yet, no, but I saw that you uh, posted it. I wanted to check it out before this, but I didn't get a chance to read it. What, what was the ultimate takeaway? Well, so it's like, it was published on Wednesday. It's like she wrote it in September when she heard that the movie was going to be banned. And it's like her talking about why the movie shouldn't be banned. And it's really funny. I mean, it's like 10 times funnier than the movie. Um, <laughs> but so like at the beginning, I want to read this part though, because it's, I don't know, it's just very well written. She's like talking about this guy named Ethan Allen, who was a revolutionary who like in, in the American Revolution, who was like a troublemaker in town. He used to always like steal people's pigs and get in trouble and like go to jail for it. But then like when the war came, he became this like leader who stormed into battle and became like an American hero. And so she's talking about him and she writes, um, his story fills me with American pride. I think this inner electric fire monster exists today as maybe the last shred of soul DNA that connects us all. That regardless of what channel makes you want to put your TV in a lake, there's a scrappy, blood-in-its-teeth, foul-mouthed revolutionary rattling the bars of your ribcage, begging for a purpose. A little tiny Ethan Allen stomping on your spleen, saying, what's it going to be today, pigs or passion? Somewhere along the way, we forgot to funnel the inner revolutionary, or how, and so we learned to shove him down under a trapdoor because his outstretched hand was too painful to look at. We sit on top of the trapdoor and try to busy our brains until we die. Then sometimes the trapdoor is ripped open and the electric monster revolutionary is puked onto the internet, raging our rage and spewing our passions in poison sound bites. This is the end of days, and if I'm not screaming, then I'm not alive. So, Betty? Gilpin should get into film criticism. Yeah. <laughs> My God. Really good love writer. Jesus, love what writing. Um, yeah. that's, that is very interesting, though. Wow. I really want to read the rest of that now. I feel like she's writing about a movie, though, that, like, I mean, she's not right. She is writing about The Hunt, but, like, having seen The Hunt, I'm like, this is not The Hunt. Like, you're writing about yeah. a version of The Hunt that is incredible and that does these things that you're talking about. Like, that's not the movie we saw, but it's still, like, a fun, well, well, uh, fun essay to read and imagine the movie that could have been. <laughs> well, wait, that reminds me of, um, <laughs> you know, uh, we did an audio commentary track recently for a movie called Serenity with Matthew yeah. McConaughey and Hathaway. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we talked about so much during um, that audio commentary is, how did all these actors get fooled into making this movie? And then when you read like interviews or defense that, that, that they threw up against the criticisms of it, you just realize that sometimes everybody heads into a movie thinking, thinking they're making something. Um, and then the final product ends up being obviously something else because there's just so many cooks in the kitchen, so many ideas being thrown around. Things change, obviously, um, either during production, post-production. I think a lot about like, Ben Affleck getting involved as like Batman and like Batman v Superman and Justice League and what he originally wanted for that character and how things like turned out. And like, you know, there are just so many examples in Hollywood of people getting involved in a project because of what's on the page and what they think of it and even conversations that take place. And then the final product is, well, sometimes it's not that. I always think of Cocktail. Tom Cruise, like, read the Cocktail <laughs> script and thought it was oh going to be, like, God. the best film of all time. And, like, everyone in the yeah. was like, this is going to be a brilliant film about, like, the existence of a cocktail waiter or of a, you know, yes. a bartender. That's fantastic. To no avail. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with that uh, said, uh, let's get over to final thoughts here. Uh, so, Luke, is there anything that we didn't mention about The Hunt that you want to bring up uh, or reiterate? 
Um, yes, I'll have one final statement. I hate to come across as a conspiracy theorist on my first time on this podcast. I swear I'm not. But <laughs> you might be the first that we've had, so. <laughs> Visit Infowars.com. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but my theory is that they knew this movie was shit when it was finished in September, and they realized that they had a lot of good fall movies to compete with, and they were like, fuck it, like, the calendar looks pretty empty in March, let's cause, like, a marketing controversy around this, and then that will allow us to sell the movie, a movie that is not sellable in March. That's the end of my conspiracy. Even if it's not true, I I still kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a it's a reasonable conspiracy, you know. Yeah. I mean, if there's somebody at uh, Universal uh, who thought of that, I would say that that person's thinking outside the box and probably deserves a raise for being creative. <laughs> uh-huh. It's probably a studio exec. Yeah. 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 Man. Uh, what grade out of 10 would you give this one? A two. Oh, man. Brutal. Ooh. All right. <laughs> All right. Dan Bear. What about you? Um. Oh, wow. It's actually a really tough movie to grade. Um, I, you know, I'm going to give it a five out of ten. I'm I'm really kind of down the middle on it. I think a, some of the filmmaking itself is pretty good. I think the performances are really good. Um, and I enjoyed watching most of it. But I it, it stumbles, I think, too much for me to give it a like passing grade. Yeah. Okay. I, I get, I get that. I think I was uh, leaning somewhere in that realm for a little bit, but upon thinking about it after watching it and uh, just my overall experience uh, in that theater that night, watching it as well, um, I, I leaned more negative. So I went with a four out of 10 on this one. I think there are some enjoyable elements. I don't think it's a terrible watch. I think it's like a perfect streaming at home movie. And something that you could just watch maybe with friends and have very, very little investment. Just something to just throw on while drinking some White Claws one night. Um, I I, I think it's, you know, it's not, I don't think it's total complete shit. But at the same time, I wouldn't like say, oh my God, you got to go see it. You know, I wouldn't do that. So I'm going to go with a four out of ten on this one. And yeah. All right. So uh, with that said, Oscar uh, potential for this film, uh, best picture, <laughs> best uh, original screenplay, <laughs> best supporting actor for. Uh, hey, you know what? Listen, the way that the year is going right now, who the hell knows? <laughs> very, very little competition if the Oscars were held today. I mean, honestly, best leading actress, Betty Gilpin, I would not be opposed to that. Oh, yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> I, I'd go. Yeah. Um, let's let's do it. Let's make it happen. <laughs> no, uh, in, in all honesty, it's like this is like the sort of thing where um, isn't there like something called like the Scream Awards or uh, something like that? I don't know. I feel like there's like these awards that um, specifically get uh, given to like horror movies and like thrillers and things like that. I can't remember what they're called though. The yeah. satellites? Uh no, no, no. I wasn't. I wasn't thinking I know that it's prestigious. Not satellites, but like that's always what I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, in all honesty, like no, no. Just moving on. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So, uh, Luke, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast review. We really, really appreciate having you on. And also, too, um, thank you so much for providing that um, Betty Gilpin uh, uh, piece there at the end because that was uh, really, really insightful. Uh, where oh, can yeah, people sure. find Thanks. more of your work on the Internet? Um, you can find me at Lou underscore kicks, L-O-U underscore K-I-C-K-S on Twitter. And that's really the only place I uh, am active now. I'm sort of like off Facebook. But yeah, thanks for having me. It was great being on the show. Absolutely. No, definitely. Thank you very much. Dan, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on Film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of The Hunt here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.